You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. And the moment that I felt that I was no longer just like some hired gun filling in for them, but that I was actually part of a trio and a third of a trio and like brothers and equals with these people and contributing something more than just playing someone else's songs. It was like just the, the greatest sense of accomplishment I've ever had in my life. And playing that first show with them is, uh, stands out as by far, I don't care. I've played bigger shows. I've played smaller shows since we've done crazy things. It doesn't matter. That first show sealing the deal and, and, and being there with those other two guys, the three of us on stage was, uh, by far like one of the greatest achievements I've ever, I've ever had. And it was just kind of a sense of fuck. Yeah, we did it. Hey, what's up Vox and hops heads. I'm Matt, the vocalist of cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and hops metal podcast brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. Hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal, Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to have teamed up with them to bring you Brutal Montreal 2023. Brutal Montreal 2023 is coming up on April 15th at MTELUS. This year's event will feature performances by Clutch, Amigo the Devil, and Nate Bergman. Tickets for Brutal Montreal 2023 are selling incredibly fast if you are planning on coming to the show you better pick one up soon because you will miss out on this killer metal and beer festival in my hometown of montreal if you'd like to pick up your tickets head on over to voxandhops.com slash brutal mtl that's v-o-x-a-n-d-h-o-p-s.com slash brutal mtl and you will be taken to the official page where you can pick up your tickets i am beyond stoked to have heavy montreal behind the vox and hops metal podcast now on today's artist spotlight segment, I'm very stoked to be shining some light on Red Rot. Red Rot is a progressive death metal band. You, you got to imagine the bastard child of Morbid Angel, Voivod, and somehow even Catatony and Paradise Lost. Get ready, everyone. Here is Red Rot's near disaster. <laughs> Yeah. 
was sweet. I really, really enjoyed this track from Red Rot, Near Disaster. It's a part of their debut album, which is called Mal de Vivre, that came out on August 26, 2022, via Zvart Records. If you enjoyed this track from Red Rot, well, you should absolutely go and follow them, check them out. I've put a link to their website, redrotmetal.com, in the description of this podcast. Massive cheers to Red Rot for being on today's Vox and Hops Artist Spotlight. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is just a killer guitarist, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 390 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your guitar virtuoso friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today's episode was recorded during February's Thirsty Thursday live interview. I am very stoked to be back with Daniel Decay of Exciter. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 397. <laughs> I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very, very stoked to be back with Daniel Decay of Exciter Diamonds. He's a very busy man. He's a YouTuber. He's on Twitch. We're on Twitch right now. He's streaming this whole interview on Twitch right now. He does not fest. He, I don't know when he sleeps. He recently relocated to L.A. We are recording this at a Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. And the hang is being streamed on Twitch to the Decay Army this is cool. I think it's a first, and I'm, I'm excited for all of this. But let's just start with a very simple. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. And uh, for those of you who don't have the visual uh, accompaniment, oh. I just opened my first beer of the day. It's five. It's officially five o'clock here, so Hell no guilt. Yes, let's just let's jump straight into it. Vox and Hops, all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing craft beer. What did you just crack right there? So this is the Rogue Bat Squatch Hazy india pale ale yeah. uh yeah loving that it's uh a super badass art it's i mean i do like the beer but i like a lot of different craft beers so i made sure that when i went to the store i also bought the one with the coolest label for the coolest metal and beer podcast so uh this one's got a bat squatch on it literally which is fucking awesome and of course due to the hilarity of green screen technology uh, it looks ridiculous right now, but it's a super cool looking can. Uh, the Bat, Bat Squatch Hazia India Pale Ale. Love it. It's a little strong. Might get a little sloppy after a couple. We shall see as the hang continues. For myself, uh, we're recording this early February. It's the first Thursday of February. And everyone knows that knows Vox and Hops is that I do a sober February. Um, and I'm drinking... Um, Something that came out last year, something that's pretty cool from Satanic Tea Company, Pitch Black North, out of Calgary, Alberta. This is a Nunso Vial. It's the collab that he made for Cryptopsy. It's awesome. It's black tea uh, with um, lavender. And of course, if I'm involved in anything, there's a bunch of hops in it. So very, very cool tea. Loving that. Massive shout outs to uh, Dominic, uh, the Satanic Tea Lord himself for, for just being cool and sponsoring sober february uh, and everything else so uh, just i love it i love it and i love it um yeah let's just how's 2023 been you moved to to la Th that's new since we were hanging out in manitoba back in may i want to say dude yeah that was may in manitoba um shout out to an amazing night we had like two really good nights there that was a really that was dude, a ripper dude, man i i i, I, I 
jumped in the crowd and I don't do that. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it, it was like you guys and the striker guys were, it was the most violent exciter show I'd ever played. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're a traditional heavy metal band. We do like fist pumping in the air, not mosh pits often. And, uh, yeah, I got like you and the striker guys are just flying, flying by me and above me while we're playing and commanding that pit. It was awesome. That was a really good two day uh, Canadian heavy metal hang in Winnipeg of all places. I never had never had so much fun in Winnipeg. Um, 23 has been awesome, though, man. Uh, as you pointed out, a bit of a relocation, not a large relocation for me to start off the year. And uh just been, you know, trying to stay as busy as humanly possible because fucking sleep is completely overrated and uh, more time to be awake and drink beer, I suppose. Exactly where I was headed. Um, sober February. I'm doing sober February. This episode is going to come out next month, so it's not going to be a sober February content. But I, I, I will ask the question, uh, how do you deal with the balance of, of overindulging and, and finding all the energy that you need to do everything that needs to be done. Because as you spoke about in our last chat that we did at the pre-fest party when we were at Sukram's Brewing, uh, if you do get a hangover, it takes it takes a full day recovery. Yeah, I actually recall from that, that exact moment in that interview where uh, Chris Thrash was next to us and you're asking how we all get over a hangover and Chris Thrash said, by going to the gym and eating a shawarma. And I'm like, all right, this guy hasn't broken 30 yet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think yeah, you're correct. Hang- <laughs> Hangovers are quite debilitating, my friend, uh, as as we get up there. Um, so I try to, you know, I learn my limits, uh, especially with with liquor. I used to pair um, a shot of uh, whiskey, Irish whiskey, um, with a uh, with my beer for every beer I had all night. And I can't do that anymore because wow, yeah. if I do that, the next day is a total write off and there's going to be 65 unread emails. Um, so we, we try not, we try not to, uh, indulge too much in the hard liquor, or at least try not to make every beer a one-to-one ratio with a shot of liquor. Um, but yeah, there's still, there's still some very hungover days where I'm either doing stuff like this, or I'm on a really important call or writing emails that define the entire future of any of my projects while I'm, you know, puking or eating Advil, like it's fucking pop rocks, you know, it's just, uh, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, it's interesting you say like how you balance and manage. I don't actually is the true honest answer. I'm either all in or I'm all out with everything in life. And that includes uh, with drinking and doing things in moderation. In moderation. Um, I, the only time I've ever done uh, like a, a stint of sobriety, it hasn't been like a sober February. It was a sober two years. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. So I'm either I'm either like all in or all out. And you can pretty much apply that to every element of my life that that I can tell. But uh, let's go back to those two years. What 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 prompted the the, the was it just an intense series of, of one for ones, Irish whiskey and beers? Or was it just that life just got too messy? Uh, it was, it was, the, it was the one for ones and, uh, one for one 69, 420 times a night starts to get really, uh, you know, hard on your body and your mind. And I found myself, uh, not the happiest and not the most productive and certainly not the healthiest. Um, so I, uh, just cold Turkey kicked, uh, kicked booze out the door for two years and then immediately went on my first ever tour of Europe 
And boy, oh, let me tell you, yeah. touring yeah. Germany for three <laughs> for three weeks, not drinking beer was really tough. Your beers um, are so good. And, and, and even more tough, actually, from that tour is, is going into a bar anywhere in the UK or anywhere in Germany and asking for a uh, near beer, a 0% alcohol-free beer is really not as easy as you might think. <laughs> um, I recall one night, I believe we were in Glasgow, and one night in Glasgow, um, I, I just decided everyone was drinking beer. I'm like, man, I've been sober this whole tour. And, you know, for months prior, like, I just want to have a beer and cheers with everyone, like a uh, uh, 0%. So I go to the bartender and I'm like, hey, do you guys have an alcohol-free beer? Like, you know, something if someone was a designated driver for the evening or if they're sober. And she's like, oh, I got you. We got one. The, the owner loves these, he does in moderation, and this is perfect. So she gives me the alcohol-free beer. I crack it. I get about halfway through, and I'm feeling a little silly in, in right right here. And uh, I, I flip the label and look it over, and it's a, it's a low-alcohol beer. It's 2.5%. There is no such thing as like, what the hell is alcohol-free beer in, 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 a, in a place where drinking culture is so... Uh, prominent. So yeah, um, that was a rough run, man, doing my first, uh, my first rip through Europe, uh, not drinking, but, um, I promptly came home from that tour, walked into my local bar and I recall being like, all right, PBR and a PBR and a Jameson. Let's go. Let's, uh, I'm back, baby. I can't do that again. <laughs> let's get to, to dance with the, the, the devil and dance with knowing that you went too far with the devil and then reeling yourself back so that you can reemerge and hopefully have learned from those experiences. It's what, it's what we hope. It doesn't always end up being that way, sadly, because we, you know, I, I'm not one of, of those people that wakes up and is like, I'm never doing this again. I, I don't find myself saying that, but I, I would like to reanalyze uh, the amounts of certain indulgences of certain nights, some nights I would say. I, I, I think it's tough too, as you get more into drinking, especially like in, in our world, we're talking about craft beer, like I love craft beer. I don't need to drink PBR every night. It, you know, it's hard on the gut. And, uh, it's just like, man, you really got to be careful with some of these. Speaking of overindulging, got to be careful with some of these ABVs, man. You know, like I'll be even with you. I remember like we were sitting in Winnipeg trying a bunch of like, you know, off the rack, just trying. All right, let's try a pint of this, pint of that, pint of that. Let's see what we like. And, you know, y you got to be careful. Some of these beers are six and a half, seven and a half, nine percent. It's just like. You know, it's man. I, I need something a little more sessionable. Uh, you know, as as we, I want, I want to have a bunch, so I need something sessionable, something reasonable. I agree. Low ABB beers, people, and uh, no more sessions. Though I don't like session beers, unless they're they're crispy boys. Um, last time we spoke, I asked about the soundtrack of your youth. Uh, you mentioned that your mom listened to Genesis, but you discovered metal in the basement with your father, Iron Maiden. At what point did the guitar become such a big part of your life? Um. So. I mean, since like my earliest times listening to metal, uh, as, as a kid, I'd be like standing on the couch and jumping off of it while Iron Maiden played, pretending I was air guitaring or uh, grabbing a broomstick and power sliding down, down the, uh, you know, down the hallway and just, you know, always into like the performance and rocking out element of music. It wasn't just the sound. It was, it was the visual when I'd see the videos and I'd see people with guitars I got really excited about it. So um, I was always faking playing guitar and faking air drumming um, until I was uh, old enough to, you know, get my hands on an actual guitar. Had a had a toy drum kit when I was really, really little, like, you know, one of those Fisher Price type situations. 
and uh, some like novelty, like xylophone and keyboards and guitars, like toys, essentially. But when I was 13, uh, my grandparents got me my first ever acoustic guitar. Um, I still have it. It's uh, I don't have any other instruments from that early on. And all instruments have long been sold from that era. But I just can't can't let go of that OG acoustic, even though it just sits and gathers dust. It doesn't get much use. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it's really just a a relic of where I came from and, uh, I'll never be able to let go of it. But I mean, I suppose I'm a late starter for some people like 13 is, you know, some kids be getting into the Suzuki school of music and like shredding violin by age six and shit. So, I mean, perhaps I'm a late, I'm a late bloomer, but it wasn't until 13. I got, I got my, uh, my first guitar. Was it something that you were naturally good at or did you have to put the work in? Oh, absolutely not. It's still not naturally good. It's just, it's just like a constant fake it till you make it situation. Um, yeah, like it was almost embarrassing. I had this, I had this like buddy that was the same age as me and we got guitars around the same time. And he was like playing circles around me. And then I, another buddy and he was playing circles around me. Then I hit high school and my best friend was like shredding winter sun solos. And I'm like, Hey man, like I really got that John Frusciante solo down with like four notes in it. It's like, sounds awesome, dude. Like, woo! Like it was brutal, dude. It was taking me, took me forever to really get, you know, get my groove and get my chops going. And, uh, you know, still, still working on it every day. I'm still, still really just out here playing Ace Freely licks over and over again. But, uh, you know, whatever, I, as I say, you got to fake it till you make it. So it does not come easy to me. Um, not, I'm by no means do I think I was like naturally born with any gift. It was just a, a case of, I, I really, I think what I, what was unique about me is that I knew what I wanted and I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to be on a stage and I wanted the, you know, the, the rock star image of, of like just Pete Townsend going like this, you know, like shit like that got me really excited as a kid. So, um, I just worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and, uh, you know, forced my way into bands. I would like start, I would like, you know, anything I could do to get involved with the band. Hey, I'll come on tour with you. Hey, I'll sell your merch. Hey, I'll fucking fold your patch cords after, after the show, like whatever I could do to get involved in the scene more um, until someone was silly enough to be like, Hey, do you want to play bass in our band? And uh, kind of snowballed from there. See, that's excellent. Excellent advice right there. It's, it's a lot of the times it's, it's being there and being uh involved and showing that you can be counted upon that you will eventually get that ask so so it's it's it, there's the talent aspect of of making it let's say or or getting into a band if anyone's listening that's interested in, in doing that but being a person that's there that is is you can trust and 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 count on is equally as important as the talent for sure yeah, I, I mean, I, I would almost argue that it's even more important. I mean, there's um, incredibly talented musicians, like some of the most talented people I've ever met in my life who, uh, you know, I've known forever, my whole life, like people I grew up with who were so fucking good at music, but never able to remain in a band. Um, just, you know, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are at guitar. If, if we're not able to take you out on tour and spend, you know, (laughs) 20, 24 hours a day sharing small, intimate spaces together, then like, guess what? It doesn't matter how good of a shredder you are. Like the odds are that the band leader is going to give you the boot. And, uh, I recall like, you know, when we were really, uh, going through some hard, uh, lineup changes and diamonds at one point, um, we were, you know, looking at all these different options for a drummer and options for a bass player. And we'd, you know, we'd audition people and be like, man, that guy was so fucking good at drums. 
kind of a dick though. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't care how good we sound with him and how tight we are and how cool he looks. I don't give a fuck. Like he was, he kind of came off as a dick. I don't want to roll with him every day. And yeah. I don't want, I don't want him to wear our band on exactly. his back patch and represent us. Exactly. Like that's not what we're about. We're mm-hmm. family. We're fun. So yeah, you get it, man. It's like, it's, uh, it's sometimes the most important thing is who's there and who's reliable and who gets along with the gang and someone you can travel with is really what it comes down to. That's really true. The, the representing the band because anyone that's in the band is showcasing what that band's brand, let's say is all about. Yeah. It's like the worst thing ever is when you're in a band <laughs> and you, you, you go, someone's like, Oh shit, what band do you play? And you're like, hi, I play in X band. And they're like, Oh, is that the band with what's his face? Yeah. That guy's an asshole. And then those bands don't get booked. Exactly. Especially if it's like in a, in a, in a, in a smaller scene, let's say. Even on a bigger scale, I feel like in a bigger scale, when a band is successful, those bands will still get booked just because they have the draw. Though There's a difference in that. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. And I mean, I, I'd much rather be known for the complete opposite, which is like, oh shit, like you booked that band is like, he plays in that band. He's an awesome guy. Like, I like that guy. Let's let's yeah, let's book that band. I want people to be excited about, you know, the band walking into a room, whatever band it may be. Like people should be excited. Um, they shouldn't be like, oh, fuck, like this is going to be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> so you did you did do great things with Diamonds and you're still doing that, obviously uh, nominated for a Juno, which is sick. Uh, but then there was an opportunity or you got the call or, um, of joining Exciter, which is a classic legendary canadian thrash band so so that is that mo- i got that moment with cryptopsy i'd love to hear i don't want to hear like how it happened but just the way you felt joining a legacy band well it's funny because i was so excited when i put my name in for it i was like fuck yeah like this is this is going to be super cool like i'm so down to do this and the band's initial reaction was are you sure? Are you serious? Like, do you really want to do this? Like you, are you sure? I was like, what? I was like so defeated. I'm like, they think I'm kidding. Like they thought I was joking around or something. They thought I was like taking the piss by putting my name in. I'll never forget. It was like Alan Johnson, the bass player, like sent me a message on Facebook. He's like, Hey, like when you said you wanted to join the band, like you weren't serious were you. And I was like, dude, I'm like a million percent serious. Like I, I, I don't know why you'd think otherwise. Um, but dude, it, it just like the prospect of joining the band was such an exciting thing in its own because I was truly having my like Marky Mark from Rockstar moment. Uh, I was like joining a band that not only were they hometown heroes, I'm born in Ottawa. They're absolute hometown heroes. Um, it's, there's like a deep family connection. Um, Dan Beeler and my family and his kids and me, we all go way back. Uh, a lot of, a lot of family ties there. It was exciting for all those reasons, but it became even more exciting as it was revealed to me that um, the guitar player who retired from the band, the position that I'd be filling, he actually handled all the booking and the management and the, and the day-to-day operations. So they were like, Hey, like you did this shit with diamonds and you did the shit with aggressor. Like, do you, like, do you think like you want to like pitch in and do some of that shit with Exciter? And the moment that I felt that I was no longer just like some hired gun filling in for them, but that I was actually part of a trio and a third of a trio and like brothers and equals with these people and contributing something more than just playing someone else's songs. It was like just the, the greatest sense of accomplishment I've ever had in my life. And playing that first show with them is, uh, it stands out as, by far, I don't care. I've played 
Bigger shows have played smaller shows since we've done crazy things. It doesn't matter. That first show, sealing the deal and 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 being there with those other two guys, the three of us on stage was uh, by far like one of the greatest achievements I've ever, I've ever had. And it was just kind of a sense of, fuck yeah, we did it. We fucking pulled this off. And you no, know, I was involved in the logistics and it was just really uh, reaffirming that, you know, I hadn't spent the last 10 years of my life working on something that was completely in vain. You know, it all, it all kind of came full circle. I, I came from Ottawa. I moved to the big city. I moved to Toronto to try and chase a musical dream. And here I was coming full circle back to my hometown <laughs> in Ottawa to play with a band that like actually sold tickets. It was very, a very exciting thing altogether. And uh, to this day continues to be something I'm so proud of. Um, really, there's no words to describe. Marky Mark says it best. I used to grow up with posters of these guys on my wall and now I'm one of them. Yeah. It's like, it's just wild to me, man. You got the same thing, man. You play fucking Cryptopsy, dude. Yes, sir. Uh, I was actually going to talk about the whole coming in and running. It must have been so scary for them losing that member that was basically handling all the business. So they had to find not only a killer player, but someone that had the business mind to step in and run things behind the scenes too. that. And then finding you and then trusting you must've been a big, big decision for them. Hey, you know what? And I, of course it, it must've been a huge decision, but I can't stress enough how fast uh, Dan Beeler was to put um, his trust in me, like on one of our earliest phone calls discussing, you know, what it would look like if I was in the band and the format of everything, he made it so clear to me that, uh, you know, that I was family and he wanted me to be treated as an equal in this. And he wanted me to contribute, um, in any way that I felt I could. And, um, it, it, it almost like, it just felt like since day one that, you know, I was the guy, they never made me feel like I never had like the Jason new kid syndrome. They never, they never hazed me. They never made me prove myself. They didn't, you know, there was no like, oh, he's the new kid. Let's make him fucking carry all the shit upstairs. There was none of that. Um, since literally since day one, since the first rehearsal, um, it just felt like I'd been there forever. And, uh, you know, playing the songs for the first time with them and seeing Dan and Al look at each other and kind of like nod in approval. It was just the whole thing. It's we're years later and it still feels surreal talking about it. I'm getting all choked up just talking about it right now. It's kind of wild. I, I love and it must have been so much fun for you. Uh, you running stuff with Diamond. It's no like shade towards Diamond is what I'm going to say next. It must have been really cool to like be writing these emails as Exciter and then getting the yeses where you might have gotten no's before. It must have felt really interesting <laughs> what do you mean would, would have gotten no's before more like would have gotten no replies before you know i i, I could have lived with some rejection but you know there was oftentimes with diamonds i'd be writing these emails and uh, you sell yourself for yeah. three paragraphs and then you get either a one word reply or you don't get an answer yeah you uh, know i found myself all of a sudden i was in a scenario where i catch myself typing like legendary speed metal pioneers from Canada with this many albums. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't need to do this anymore. Like I can just say, Hey, we're excited. We want to play your festival. Exactly. Um, so it was a, it was a, there's a learning curve for me as well. Um, like in, in day-to-day -day operations of the band. So the first Euro tour that I was in charge of some of the logistics on, uh, you know, tour managing for all intents and purposes was the role I was doing was, it was funny because I was doing it as if I was still, in an underground band that didn't have backing and like kind of had to worry about where they were sleeping and was trying to be all economical with any decision made. 
And it was just really funny. I had to kind of break out of my comfort zone of, of just, you know, I'd done something the same way for almost 10 years, you know, like really just doing it the underground, you know, way and being very careful and conservative with my decisions and, you know, have to be careful because, you know, Diamonds was only bringing in so much and the gigs were only so good. And all of a sudden I was thrown into this world where I didn't know that I could ask for certain things. Yeah. There, was a to- <laughs> Dude, there, was, there was a total learning curve. I was like hiring my own transportation services and like booking terrible flight routes. And I was like, wait a minute, like I can just up the budget and ask for some of these things. So there was definitely a learning curve. The first, I feel bad for Dan and Al, but we laugh about it now. Like the first couple of Euro tours, like I was doing as if I was still in diamonds and they were like, Hey, like, we can afford the extra hotel room. You know that, right? Like we're, we're okay. We can, we can, you know, we, we can get the bigger van with more space for us to stretch <laughs> out. You know, we can rent the better back line. It's so it was, it was funny, like, you know, breaking out of that mindset of doing everything one way. And, uh, I'm still learning every day with them as a learning experience. And, um, I've always gone into any project I've been involved with musical or not that way. Just, uh, got to be a sponge. Look at everyone around you. listen, listen, shut the fuck up and listen and soak it all up because every day, every experience, every minute, there's something you can learn from it. There's teachable moments all over the day that go unnoticed sometimes. And don't let those moments go to waste because they're the difference between success and failure sometimes when it comes down to it. Excellent jumping off point to you being in metal media. Is that ever anything that you imagined early on was that ever a goal of yours obviously becoming a rock star holding a guitar and looking cool on stage was a big thing when you were little at what point did working in metal media or media in general uh, ever become a part of your life um i i i mean banger was the first time i had done on camera uh, stuff at all. Like, uh, you know, aside from, I mean, even, even video interviews weren't really a thing in that era. And if they were, it was a dude with a camcorder at your show in person. And you're like, Oh my God, is this guy really doing like a filmed interview at the show? Like, can't we, can we do this on email, man? You know, like it's like one of those. Right. (laughs) Um, so it was, it was really foreign to me, like to go in and do something heavy metal on camera. So I got, I got called in to do uh, a guest spot on Lockhorns on banger TV with Sam Dunn. And I went in and did a thrash episode and being on camera for an hour with a dude that I like literally, this guy literally legitimized my passion for heavy metal in high school. I was getting my ass kicked and made fun of for the bands I like. And here's this guy putting out a film that everyone agreed was like the Bible of our genre. And here I am standing talking about Exodus and Slayer with him. It was like the coolest thing ever. Um, It was like a drug, man. I was like, oh shit, I like this too. Because it had the same element of like, you know, I fell in love with the rock star ideals as a kid and like, you know, watching a spotlight on Jimmy Page and these fucking crazy dragon pants playing a double neck guitar, like this larger than life shit. And all of a sudden I was getting that same kind of high and, 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 and feeling the same way about being on camera talking about something I'm passionate about. So it was almost instantly I, I kind of I proposed to Banger. I was like, hey, like I had a really good time doing this. I'd love to do this again. That was a that was a that was a serious moment for me. I, you know, I, I still get the same rush out of it. It's still for me, it's still a form of performance. Like I love at the core of it, my favorite thing. Like I don't love sitting in a studio 
for 16 hours a day making an album. I don't love sitting in my pajamas yelling at myself because I can't get a lick to come out the way I hear it when I'm showering. Those aren't my favorite parts about being in a band. My favorite parts about being in a band are the performance elements of it and interacting with people and, you know, trying to be that larger than life persona that I grew up admiring. Um, So it's to me, it's almost the same thing. It's all it's all in the same realm of presentation and performance. And uh, I fucking fell in love with it. And Banger was cool enough to take a chance on me when they had no reason to take a chance on me. I was just a dude down the street playing in an underground rock band and they let me kind of go off and be the ADHD metal enthusiastic person that I am. And they loved it and offered me like a permanent slot on their channel. And it opened a lot of doors for me. And I'm incredibly thankful that they took that chance on me. Uh, the whole team there and, you know, fucking working with Sam Dunn, man, it's like, he's an absolute legend in our world. So it's really, it's really cool, man. That, that, that's, uh, that was, that's, Still, you know, just more more cool shit. I'm all about doing cool shit, and that is certainly some really cool shit right there. Absolutely, and that led on to not fast uh, the art of an interview. I've watched a bunch of your interviews. Uh, you're an excellent, excellent host. You you craft an interview. So so I'd like to hear about the art of the interview and crafting uh, a perfect arc and how you approach talking to people and, and getting people to open up. Uh. You know, and I, I, I love that that's where this conversation's headed because obviously you yourself are an interviewsman. So uh, you, you get exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, you also having the, the band background, you know, as well as the interview background, you get exactly how I learned how to do it. Um, I learned how to craft an interview by doing dozens and dozens and dozens of shitty interviews. Absolutely. You know, like when Diamonds did a record that came uh, on Napalm. So Napalm was gracious enough to get us like 45 interviews a day, it felt like, when that record cycle was happening. It was our first time having a press agent. So we just said yes to everything. And like we'd be between shows and everyone's on their phone doing phoners or doing email answers, like just nonstop press. And what I learned from that is that any dick with a microphone and or camera can be an interviewer. So you learn really quickly that if you do 15 interviews a day, that like 10 of them are really bad. Um, And, you know, no shame on the person doing the interview. Like I get it if you're, you know, you're new at it and you're learning and you just got given some underground band, maybe you don't give them the best interview, but it was really eye-opening to me. Like there was a trend of bad and boring interviews and getting asked. The main thing I noticed was you get asked the same question over over and and over and over again. So my big thing when I sit down with a big artist, like when I sit down with a Mustaine or when I sit down with a Slash or when I sit down with anyone of like that stature, the first thing I try to establish between myself and the guest is that this either 15, 30, 45 or hour, whatever we're slotted for will be unlike any other, every other one that you did that day as well. Cause you know that when you get them, they've done six in a row that day, they're fucking bored of answering what was the motivation behind the new song for the new record? Like they, they don't love doing the same thing. So I've always been the kind of, you know, I, I, I come from the approach of just trying to make it not boring for the artist, because the more you engage the artist that you're talking to, the more likely that something's going to come out that they haven't said before, or that, you know, actually strikes up a genuine conversation. Like, for example, like I did a slash interview and I'm supposed to be talking to him about, 
uh, a movie soundtrack that he was working on. We end up talking about pinball for 30 minutes because he's a fucking pinhead and I'm a pinhead. And, you know, we get going on classic machines and then the old Guns N' Roses machine versus the new one that he designed. And then next thing you know, it's like there's three people standing behind us telling us to wrap it up and we don't want to wrap it up. We're having a good time. And like, you know, it's just it's the, the art of the interview is one that to me. I, it's it seems simple in my mind. Like I I know what I want to do. I know how to accomplish it and I know how to approach it. But, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like there's like an oversaturation of bad interviewers out there. So I always try and set myself apart from that. And, uh, you know, the goal is to try and get them to tell a story that they haven't told. All while, I'll share this, actually, this is good. Lisa Latticer, the OG producer at Banger TV, she really like taught me a lot about the art of the interview because she's been in media, uh, you know, for forever. She's she's a pro and she gave me a pretty useful piece of information that I kind of take with me with every interview, which is don't ask a question that you don't already know the answer to in one form or another. Yeah. That's really good advice. And I know it may seem silly because why would you ask a question for something you already know the answer for? But no, no, because you can ask those questions and use them as stepping stones to build towards maybe something you don't know the answer for, maybe some uncomfortable territories you want to get into with an artist and you know it's it's just really good to be in your element and kind of to be able to predict where the conversation's going to go um but the art of the interview like it excites me man like i i spend i was doing a a, a weekly interview show during the pandemic on twitch two hours um every week and i was getting because i was doing it through not fest i was getting pretty large guests and like, you know, I, 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 I just like two hours would just fly by because I'd be able to break down the walls within the first 15, 20 minutes. And next thing you know, it's a conversation about like, oh, like your pet went to the vet last week. And <laughs> what did you buy at the grocery store with your family this morning? And like, oh, you're in the middle of moving. Oh, dude, I know that that's the word. And next thing you know, it's like, we're not even talking about music. And sometimes those are more often times than not, those are the best conversations. You get it, man. You're an interviewer. You do great interviews. I watch your fucking podcast. You're the Why, man. Thank you. Because yeah, people always have their guard up, right? Until you get into an actual conversation. And that's when, well, I have the beer that helps them get there too. But once they feel comfortable with you, the real conversation will come out. And then you're not getting those out of the box questions that they're feeding to press. I, I don't like to consider myself as press, but publicists do hook me up with people. So I... You know, we have to hit certain key things, sadly. But I, 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 I hit them. I hit them, and we move back on to more interesting things. Uh, you, you, you just said something very, very interesting that I must, I must acknowledge. You don't like to be viewed as press. So this is, you know, uh, I guess it's like a subcontext of what I was saying, but I'll make it as clear as day. I too don't want to be viewed as press. I'm not a journalist. I'm not press. I'm not an interviewer. I'm a musician talking to another musician. And that's a big thing for me. And uh, this year at Psycho Vegas, I was doing interviews just with friends. I'd like, I was with NotFest. I'd like text buddies and bands and be like, hey, I want to come up to my room. I've got like a ball whiskey and, and a bunch of beers in the fridge. You can smoke on camera. No one gives a fuck. Like just come do an interview. And um, at the end of my At The Gates interview, I say to Tampa, I'm like, dude, who's going to be the new guitar player? And he's like, I can't tell you. You're, you're, you're a journalist. And I look at him. I'm like, Hey, 
Don't use that. Don't use that J word. I'm not the journalist. I'm not a journalist. I'm your buddy. I'm a musician. I'm talking to you on the level. Who's the fucking new guitar player? <laughs> you know, it's just like I, I uh, it, it's important to, to separate yourself from from the uh, the hordes of other people doing this. And, you know, to be able to talk to them about musical things that a normal interviewer wouldn't be able to like, you know, I can talk. I could talk shop. I can talk in instruments. I could talk tour life. I could talk studio life because I have the experience. So I find it's really useful to like in the first 15 minutes to bring that shit into play, break down those walls and then let it go and see what it becomes. That is the plan. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. So if you could go back in time and redo one interview that you just completely lost control of, what would that be? Uh, two that come to mind instantly. Troy Sanders, Mastodon. Uh, I was really new and fresh and got like the 15 minute treatment and oh, it's brutal. It's really bad. I think we aired four minutes of it. Oh. Like it was like, a, it was like a quick little tidbit <laughs> on YouTube is, is bad is bad. I could, I could, yeah, I would love to redo that one. And as well, uh, David Vincent, I would love to redo that yeah. one. He fucking hated me. Oh, really? he fucking hated me. Oh yeah, he hated me. <laughs> it's cause I did, I did it with Blaine. Blaine and I had a mm. podcast, Blaine Smith, one of my co-hosts yeah. from Banger. We had a podcast for a while there and uh, we had David on and uh, Blaine's a comedian. Yeah. So he, he was being really funny and I'm like a super fan. So I was being really nerdy. And I think just like David was just was completely put off by the dynamic. <laughs> He's got like one guy making jokes, one guy calling him evil D. He's like, what's going on here? I'm fucking out. Like he just like, he gave us the most like, I don't want to be here answers ever. And uh, I feel like, I tell people that and they're like, no, man, he's a great interview. Like he's such a rad dude. I feel like we just, we blew it. We dropped the ball on that one. I would love to redo that one uh, today and maybe, maybe <laughs> on my own. <laughs> we love you, Blaine. <laughs> I'm doing oh, we love you, Blaine. Yes, we love Blaine, but maybe I'll do that one on my own. I have a new segment throughout 2023 called Fight the Hops, uh, where uh, I ask my guests about uh, something that they're working on, uh, a very small goal that they hope to accomplish uh, throughout the next year, throughout the next few months. Uh, it can be anything from making yourself better, accomplishing something in your business. What are you doing right now to fight the hops? Um, so a big thing for me right now um, is, and something I've struggled with actually for a long time, get real with you here, is um, organization in in uh planning out my tasks so i get my hands involved in a lot of shit and i don't have i'm i'm i'm, a, I'm alone i'm a i'm a i'm a sole proprietor here at uh, the dk army and uh i just uh i find that while i do manage to get everything done i find that there's you know things aren't always done as timely as they should be and things aren't always done at the at the the, the level of quality that i like to hold myself to so in, in, in the next uh, little bit, I'd like to get better with um, managing my time and knowing how much to spend on one project, you know, and, and when it's time to move on to the next. Um, I find myself, if you're a SpongeBob fan, there's like that moment where SpongeBob has to write an essay and he like, it shows him furiously writing on a piece of paper. And then it says like seven hours later and he lifts it up and all his paper says is the, <laughs> that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> so I would really like uh, in, you know, in, in this year, one of my big goals is to just get better uh, with managing my time because there's so many things I want to do that I'm not able to get to because, you know, I just, I can't find the time to get it done at that, you know, high level of quality that I want it to be at. Uh, so that's how I'm going to fight the hops by fighting the uh, ADHD brain that has 47 tabs open at all times and they all have audio <laughs> playing in my brain. 
47 tabs all playing their own individual audio and you can't figure out where the sound's coming from and you're pressing all the buttons and the next thing you know the day's over and you didn't get anything accomplished. So I'm trying I'm trying to work on that. That's my uh that's my big goal for this year is to get my shit uh, a little more organized. Right now I've actually I'm looking I have a planner. That's my latest thing. I bought a planner and I'm handwriting things in a planner uh because I'm analog as fuck. We actually were supposed to do this interview in October, which which is a perfect <laughs> jumping off point right there. We 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 did the pre-fest interview in in Winnipeg, and then we went to a bar after just you just and Melinda. Shout out to Melinda. Uh, we went to a bar and we drank and we scheduled something like we're going to do this interview, and then we both missed it and it just never happened. <laughs> Which is why we're doing this one. Yeah, I I recall like vividly like we finished up that interview and I knew right away that I wanted to pitch to you that we do a full interview. Like I was so excited to do a one-on-one with you. And it was in my calendar and a week before I got the reminder notification. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like next week we're doing this. And then it, I had totally forgotten. No one, I didn't text you. You didn't text me. It just happened. And so, yeah. So case in point, maybe I need an assistant. Probably not. Probably just need to be more organized. It's tough. Uh, Cause you are very, very, very busy. I am busy as well, but I think you might be a bit more busy and, and just, the day-to-day organization it's a lot it's a lot and for myself what i do and i this is just how my brain works and it's all in my head typically and that's just the way i work but i organize as i walk from my house in the morning until i hit uh, my commute in the morning before i start doing emails is like today i'm gonna do this and i like hammer out this list in my brain and then i do it before i go to bed basically is how i get through stuff so like with my adhd style brain and once again i'm just throwing around the term adhd perhaps it's not the best descriptor it's like an undiagnosed adhd but i'm like pretty sure that's what we're dealing with here um but i'm afraid to go to the doctor for that because i don't want them to tell me to take ritalin <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was, you don't want to change. Well, not that really yeah, changes you. I, I, I no, take like that, I, I need, I need this energy. Like, don't take, don't take this energy out of me. I need this energy. I thrive on it sometimes. Um, but so if I try and do the style in which you just talked about, I'll get distracted by forty-seven other things on that walk. <laughs> it's like I'll see a billboard, and now I'm ranking billboards in my brain as well, and trying to remember what that one billboard near the convenience store where I grew up on that street when I was seven years old. What did that billboard say again? Oh yeah. And then that was the guy who owned the convenience store. Yeah. That kid I used to play hockey with. And then, Oh, the hockey. Yeah. Dude. Guy Lafleur. What an unbelievably, yeah, it's just like, it's the, the wow. snowball effect, dude. Yeah. It, hap- it happens really fast. And then, too. and then it's 11 o'clock at night. And then, then it's 11 PM and I've done literally nothing but smoke weed and drink beer and think about what I'm going to do that day. Back, I did this, like, I have hustler is, is a word, and it gets thrown around, but hustler sort of means swindler as well, and that's definitely not what I think you are. Um, in high school and when you were growing up, was this, like, drive to do so many things and to achieve? Was it there? Or did is it something that you cultivated over the 10 years in Toronto with Diamonds before joining um, Exciter? Um, I... I- I come from uh, like a, a, a working class family where I saw like a dad put in 90 hour weeks my whole life. So the obsessive nature of like being slightly addicted to working is very real and in my blood. It's something I grew up and watched my dad uh, like literally give his entire life away to running a business. So I think that that's where I get a lot of that from. Um 
did it translate to school? Absolutely not. I did terrible in school. I was a really bad student. Uh, faked my way through university or uh, high school and university. Probably only passed any classes because I had actual relationships with my teachers because I just spoke to them like an adult and you know tried to be an interesting person. But um, yeah, I was not. I didn't have drive to do well or succeed in things that I did not like. Um, then, you know, flip to the alternative as a teenager. Like I, I managed my first band when I was 17 years old. Like I was like, I approached my friends in a band and I was like, Hey, you guys are sick musicians. You have no idea how to manage your band. Let me do it for you. And so, I mean, I've always, I've always had the drive to like be like an, I, I call it like an entrepreneurial mind. Um, I've always had kind of the, 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 the idea that I wanted to take things and, turn them into bigger things and, and open new doors and more opportunities. Um, but the, the, the ability to get it done, the, the know-how and uh, the discipline and kind of just problem solving, I would say definitely came from uh, Diamonds. We were, uh, dude, the three, the core three of us in the band, myself, CeCe Diamond and Priya Panda uh, lived in a home together and spent 10 hours a day working on that band every single day and like basically taking bar back shifts at night or bartending or uh, go on Craigslist and find an odd job that was for one day or for a weekend in a convention center selling some weird product or you know whatever, whatever weird cash jobs we could find. We would all take on those types of things so that we could still dedicate 10 hours a day uh, to, you know, to, to basically like whoever had money that week would, buy the fucking Burger King and uh, we would just sit around all day and just get shit done. A completely independent DIY till the day we die kind of band. And uh, that, that was, that was rock school for me, man. I learned, I learned a lot working with them and I started working with them when I was, uh, you know, 19 years old. So, um, you know, here we are over a decade later and I am, I have so much to thank uh, to, to those two for, you know, working with me and, we made a great team, man. We got a lot accomplished and it really taught me a lot of discipline and gave me a lot of know-how and a lot of amazing contacts and contacts are everything in getting shit done. You got to have friends who can help you. You can't do everything yourself. You got to have friends who specialize in different things and, you know, know who to lean on, when to lean on them and, and to be in a position where you can compensate them properly. It's very important. So, um, yeah, shout out to shout out to all those years grinding in diamonds. It taught me a lot of very important skills for, this world that we've immersed ourselves in and they're very applicable to everyday situations. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a way better person because of going through what I went through with them for 10 years. Absolutely. You, you hit like two things I right there was school, not necessarily being the best academic, but obviously you're super successful. So, so this is also just like people listening. Like if school is, is difficult for you, uh, you might just not fit into the mold of what school expects from society expects from you. And that, that's the thing about society. That's weird is that school is created for one type of person. And I think, I hope it's getting better than when I was there. I'm aging myself over 20 years ago now. Um, but you know, obviously super successful, even despite being not academically successful because it didn't interest you. Well, I think that, you know, if you want to be a psychiatrist or you want to be an engineer or you want to do something that there are courses crafted specifically for 
school's probably going to be for you if it's something you're passionate about. And like, let's say you're fucking your grandfather was an engineer and your dad was an engineer and you want to be an engineer like, man, maybe fucking engineering's the, the route for you. Like that's that, you know, choose your own destiny, choose your own adventure, flip to page 69. And, you know, that's I get it. That's that's totally what it exists for. But I was sitting there in university in like psychology classes and philosophy classes and English major classes. And I was like, dude, I want to be a fucking rock star. What the hell? Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm sitting here like listening to new releases on my iPod and like drawing like stage backdrop and like amp cabinet designs. And it's just like, you know, there, there wasn't a course for that. So, you know, I think I was, I was, I was in the wrong place. I did. And you know, I, I, I think the big takeaway from that, and you know, again, you say, if academics aren't working out for you, it's not the be all end all. Like personally, I don't think you should be there if none of those, if none of those directions are for you. I only went to school because I was pressured, you know, there, my, you know, my, my parents were worried that I was going to end up working 90 hours a week, like my dad before me and ha ha ha, I currently am, but it doesn't bother me because I'm working 90 hours a week for something I love. That's true. And I think that that's the big takeaway is to, you know, if you succumb to pressures to getting into a academic or otherwise situation that you're not in love with, uh, you're just wasting everyone's time. You know, seek out, seek out what you love, give your life away to it, and make it work for you. And that's really what's important. Absolutely, I agree with that 100. percent All all the stuff that I do with Vox and Hops is pure passion. I don't even count that as work hours on top of my full time day job. This is this is just pleasure for me. It's work but it doesn't feel like work. It's, it's, it's a joy. The second question I came up was like, Ollie came to me. He's like, Matt, cattle decapitation asked me to join. What should I do? I said, you should do it. You living with diamonds grinding for 10 years. The exciter thing comes up. What was that conversation? Was, was it, was it as fluid and easy for them to say, yes, please go take it. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, because we actually, Luckily, I wasn't the first person to to get offered uh, uh, a band while we had a band. Um, we went through it a couple years earlier. We it was actually a very difficult time. I haven't talked about this a lot, um, and I think I can. I don't think anyone will get mad at me because it's so long ago now. Um, Diamonds had put out what was to be our like our. This was the record. We were three albums deep. This was the first one on a major label. Yeah, this, yeah, Napalm and, and, in, and in North America it was on E1 and we had, you know, booking agent and we had management, we had all, for once, all the things seemed to be in place. Uh, Juno nomination, world tour, all this shit was happening and uh, Priya got offered to join another band that was an incredible opportunity. It was a band called the She Demons and it was a band that was kind of created in the, uh, it was the brainchild of Jerry only from the misfits. And there was a lot of incredible people behind it, including Ed Stasium, legendary producer, and a bunch of other really talented people in the band as well. Um, and we had to sit down and have this discussion. It was like, all right, we've got an offer for a tour that would be a support tour for diamonds with a large band that would be really good for us exposure wise and this is you know this is our new album we should be out on the road constantly shoving it down everyone's throats and here's priya with an offer to go do something that she was super super and rightly so excited about and as a band we had to talk about it and we talked about it and we decided that you know we've been doing diamonds for so long and we're going to keep doing diamonds for so long that it would be 
terrible of us to, you know, deprive her of this opportunity to go do something that she might not be able to get to do ever again. Um, so we were like, we were all in support. We we're like, fuck yeah, go, go join she demons. And it was like a little, it was like a little ridiculous. Some of the things we had to do to like make it all work. Like I recall specifically uh, diamonds was playing in Japan and she left a she demons tour in the middle. And like, they played two shows without her and she flew to Japan and we did these gigs. And then like, we all hung in Japan, but she had to fly back to the she demons tour. Like it was a lot. And it, it, you know, it definitely created some tension in the band. How could it not, you know, some people were upset it was happening, but at the end of the day, uh, we were not just business partners. We were friends. We we're all best friends. And to tell one of your best friends, they can't do something that they were passionate about would have been the ultimate sin in my opinion. Um, so we, we had her back on it and we were super into it. So, uh, when the time came for, you know, I got the offer to join Exciter. I didn't even think I asked them for permission. I told, I told them what was happening and it was kind of just, you know, understood you got to do what's best uh, for the individual, because as much as we love diamonds and it was our baby, like we're all individual people and we got to live our lives and do things that, you know, feel good for us. And as long as it's not like cutting your hands off and never being able to play music again, <laughs> I see no opposition to letting anyone do whatever the fuck they want. There's always a long career and, you know, people are playing later and later into life and there's always time to, to keep continuing and getting back together and you'll be on a higher platform because high tides raise all ships, as Jamie Jester would say. <laughs> and you know what? I 100% agree with that. Um, and, and that kind of played into anything that would get offered to anyone while we were doing diamonds was just like, you know, cause diamonds is like really chilled out now. Like diamonds is like a one, one, one gig a year, two gigs a year, uh, type situation. Now everyone's kind of all over the country and involved in other projects, but in the, in the height of it, when we were doing diamonds for 10 hours a day, seven days a week, um, I, I we still had that high tides, raise all ships type mentality that if someone got offered to go do something that was outside the band, but they still had a potential to like plug the band and, you know, maybe it just meant playing in another band for a minute, but still wearing a diamond shirt on stage, like whatever it was, like it was still for the greater good. And we always kind of had that approach and I'm happy we did because people who get like territorial, like over, like you can't have any side projects. Like that's how you create <laughs> That's how you create animosity in a, in, in, in a band situation. That's how you make people resent each other. It's like, if you, if you hold someone back from an opportunity that they think is going to be good for them, how do you expect them to look at you the same way after you've held, if you know, you're the reason they couldn't do it. They're going to hold that against you forever, whether or not you think they will. And it'd be foolish to not let people live to the, their best potential. Um, so yeah, I'm all about high tides, high tides, raise all ships. Absolutely, man. I'm sure that members that, that are territorial like that, that tend to be those people we were talking about earlier when we bring up bands, they're like, oh yeah, you're in the band with that asshole. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. 
If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I have one last question for you, but before I ask you that, this is a Thirsty Thursday virtual hang, and we're with a bunch of killer people that I hang out with very frequently. Let's open the floor to the Thirsty Thursday gang. Who here has a question for Daniel? Uh, Raise your digital hand. You know how to do this. And as always, the first person with his hand up is Philip Brousseau Dervites from the Whispers from the Void podcast. Phil, go for it. Hello, hello. Phil Sava, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You got a good French, man. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Ottawa, so whether or not I wanted to learn French, I learned French. Uh, it's really bad, though. I won't try and pretend I can speak it, but... Uh... <laughs> nice. <laughs> Love it. So my question is pretty simple. What is the thing, the achievement that made you proud, the proudest? in your life and any achievement it can be musical it can be like interview wise it can be anything um i i think that you know obviously we talked about that exciter first show was a really really special one for me um playing heavy mtl for the very first time because it was something so local it was a festival that i went to as a teenager to go you know i was if, whether I want to see Slayer or Metallica or any of those huge bands or you know Motley Crue, Iron Maiden, uh, that was the festival that I would travel to. So then to finally get to play the main stage at that festival felt like a very uh, big achievement. But um, I will say number one by far was the Juno nomination for the simple reason, not that I care about award shows, not that I think the Grammys are important, but it was because for the very first time in my life, my mom had a frame of reference of what the fuck I was doing because she'd come to shows sometimes and she'd be like, I don't, how, what is, is what is this is this, this, this is it. This is what we're doing. And like, then I was on the Junos and it was televised and I'm on the red carpet. And she finally, it was in the newspaper. She finally had something tangible to be like, no, my son does this. So for me, uh, the, the Juno nomination was definitely one of the proudest achievements for the sole fact I could finally look at my mom and say, see, I fucking told you it was worthwhile. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. I, I, I wait. I wait the, the time that my mom would be proud of what I do, which is talking to people. <laughs> hey, co- converse, conversation skills are very important. You get to talk to a lot of cool people and along doing, the way. And doing hobby graphic design. There you go. Ooh. He's killing it Ooh. recently. He's killing it recently. He's doing. He's, Phil, Phil's been doing a bunch of great stuff for the podcast, especially throughout January. I'll, I'll talk a lot about more about that after we stop recording here. Love it. Thank you, Phil. Nice to meet you, Phil. Hope you hope you hope you have an awesome rest of your thirsty Thursday. Oh yes, nice to meet you, Dan. Cheers, salut. Up next, we got West Coast Jerry. Go for it, bud. Hey, what's up, Daniel? Uh, what? West Coast Jerry, what's going West on, Coast brother? Jerry. I. I've always been the only person on the West Coast, and now we got we got you over here in LA. I'm in uh, Orange County. Right on. Oh, dude, OC, what's going on, brother? Yeah, dude, total. <laughs> uh, so, been a fan of Banger TV for for years. Um, when's the next Shredders of Metal? And 
I know you guys do Twitch. Is there any way you guys are going to release it or plans to release it on YouTube? Because I don't have Twitch. Okay, so uh, stuff. Let's go. Uh, Twitch. I'll get that right out of the uh, out of the way. Um, we are. So already there's a couple of the lock horns that we did and a couple of the interview segments that we did are on Banger TV on YouTube. They're just not called like Twitch. I don't think they say Twitch in the title. So you may not even realize that those were actually Twitch broadcasts uh, to begin with. So they, there are some that are up there. There's still some in the archive that haven't gone up there yet. But I believe the plan is to continue like any week we don't have a secondary video for Tuesday. I believe the plan is to just continue uploading any of those various Lockhorns that we did uh, over the year that we were putting out Twitch content uh, very regularly. We were streaming twice a week on Twitch. Um, so that's that hammers that. And uh, Shredders of Metal. So we did a little bit of digital Shredders of Metal on uh, Twitch. And uh, guess what? It's way harder than, than we thought it would be. Uh, the tech, the audio tech associated with having multiple guitar players playing at the same time oh, yeah. and then having judges and all these different people and a live audience. Like it was just, it was a lot. And it also limited who could do the show because you could be a wicked guitar player, but not have uh, a computer that can uh, withstand the, the power required to uh, live stream or even some guitar players just don't even have like audio interfaces for to plug in their guitar to their computer. They're analog guys like me. So um, it presented some issues, but uh, we had to roll with the punches of the pandemic and we did the best we could. But now, uh, now that we're in a situation where it's okay to film in person, um, I imagine that uh, without revealing too much that I imagine that this year at some point uh, there will be an announcement for another shredders of metal um, and it will be taking place in person the way that you're used to, as opposed to digitally on Twitch. That's fucking awesome. Up next, we have Peter from half. Wait, from half dude. album of the year, baby. Let's go. Fuck. Yeah. Thank you, bud. Yeah, dude. Big dude. Fan. Well, I'm a big fan of you. You guys have <laughs> one of the fucking best records of the year. Holy shit. Peter from half is in the chat right no, now. We're, everyone. We're That's talking crazy. About you. We're talking about you. We're talking about you tonight. <laughs> Thank no, you. Man. Thank That's you. crazy. Dude, I, I just saw I just saw uh Hath getting listed on uh Milwaukee Metal yeah, Fest. I was yep. gonna give a shout out to that too. Dude, yeah, that's fucking there. massive. Dude, they're they are they are continuing <laughs> in the tradition of keeping that such a um such an underground centric festival. The way it started in 87, it was an underground fucking festival, and it still is, and they're proving it because they're booking bands like you guys. They know what the fuck's going on. Jasta, Jasta coming up big with that festival lineup, man. It yeah, kills. that was a nice surprise. It kills. I'm stoked for you guys, man. That fu- you guys are fucking sick, man. I'm so stoked Thank you're here. You, bud. Well, now my turn. Big fan of you and all you guys at Banger. A really big fan of what you guys do. But And a lot of what you said tonight uh, really kind of struck a chord. The DIY grindy band doing everything you can. Like, fuck school. I'm going to just dedicate everything I can. Right my heartstrings. <laughs> Um, but one thing you said in particular really kind of stood out. And I want to pose this question to you. What do you think it is about the shower that brings out our best riffs? <laughs> and why do we forget them as soon as we walk out of the shower? <laughs> okay. So the shower is a sacred place. I mean, what happens in the shower stays in the shower, except for the riffs. Um, it's, it's a time where you can be alone 
and just kind of like stew with your own thoughts. And uh, I think as a musician, there's like just that funny people always talking about coming up with riffs in the shower that sometimes I find myself in the shower trying to come up with a riff because I feel like there's that expectation like, oh, fuck, like Prince said he had uh, audio activated microphones in his bathroom so that if he's in the shower and comes up with a melody, he can hum it. Like if, if that's how Prince does it, that's how I should be doing it. Um, so I just think there's like this expectation that like that's where it all happens. But truthfully, it is it is an opportunity where there's like there's some white noise and you can figure out the key that the white noise is in like that water, that, that water's falling and hitting the ceramic. Like that's, that's a key. There's, there's a tonal sound there. Like you can lock in with that and there's just serenity and steam all around you. It's just like the perfect spot to come up with a sexy melody, man. I, I don't disagree. I've had more than one time where I've dived out of the shower, grabbed the towel and immediately picked up a guitar because there's only a minute, maybe two minutes tops before it's gone. Gone. And it's the same with everything. It's like you come up with something in the car and by the time you park and get up to your apartment, it's, it's gone. <laughs> or it's like, you know, you, you, it, I find it sometimes happens with like song titles. I'll be like out with a buddy and I'm like, dude, like that's a fucking song title right there. That's awesome. Then the next day, neither of us remember what it was. Hey, remember that song we came up with at midnight last night? Like, what was that? Like, no one knows. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, lost into the, into purgatory. Maybe one day, maybe one day they'll come back to us, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good observation. Those songs, those song ideas that happen in the shower don't, don't last very long. <laughs> you got, you do have one minute. You know what your mistake is, is you're grabbing a towel. Yeah. Priorities, brother. It's true. Grab that guitar. Forget the towel. Keep the hang shades full, down all the hang time. Hang full dong. Hang full dong <laughs> and come up with that riff on the spot, baby. Fuck a towel. That's a good interview story, too. <laughs> there you go, right? You can, you, you can have that one. I like it. You got to save it for Vox and Hops, though, Peter. Um, <laughs> we got Brian up next. Hello, Brian. Hey. How's it going, up, Daniel? How you doing? I'm all right, um, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. Uh, through different interviews of musicians, uh, some people say they like to do what they do because of the spotlight and the attention. And some people do it to bring joy to others in whatever fashion they choose. Um, you mentioned it as a youngster seeing music videos and stuff and wanting to jam out and, you know, be the, the flashy guy playing guitar, jumping around, you know, all that stuff. Um, how what's what was the the mix for you as far as like wanting to do it for people and wanting to do it for attention is it the same now as it was then has it changed it's changed drastically um growing up it was all about and and, and no no uh like no sugarcoating it it was a selfish want of spotlight like i wanted to be that rock star that I would see in a video, like the, the spotlight and the screaming fans and the big music videos and the billboards and the in stores and all that shit. Like that was my initial motivator, admittedly very childish, but I was also six years old. Um, you know, I got my first kiss record when I was six years old and it's all fucking downhill from there. Um, that was really what did it. And uh, so it starts as that is the, you know, like my main motivator was I wanted to be a rock star and I was going to do whatever it took to become a rock star and to make it quote unquote. 
But there was a massive paradigmal shift for me when, you know, I went out and did not maybe not my first tour, but like I got a couple tours in with Diamonds and I started meeting actual fans. It was the first time I'd met fans in my life. You know, I'd never met someone who was a fan of something that I had done. And, you know, the first time you meet someone who, you know, no, again, no sugarcoating, you play an underground show for 16 people and nine of those 16 people are all standing in the front row wearing a shirt from a past tour, singing every word at you and then talking to you after the show saying, that record got me through one of the hardest times of my life. That record helped me get over a bad situation I was in. That record uh, got me into this type of music. That record that record did something for me more than just in one ear out the other. I was like, holy shit, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in my quest for rock stardom, I can also bring joy, excitement, and even better people's lives. Like I can do all of that shit just by doing something I love and a need that I, I, I had is I'm fulfilling my need and doing something that I could never even imagine I could have done for someone else. That was the paradigmal shift for me. And it became, honestly, it's like not about me at all anymore, man. I'll, I go on stage with the flu. I'm, I'll be in South America, literally like absolutely fucking so sick. Like, dude, the last time we were in South America, all three of us got really bad food poisoning, lasted 11 days. And we had a show, a, sh- a show and a flight or two flights every single day. And there was no like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this tonight. It was, oh, fuck, I better get my shit together because I want to make everyone's day out there tonight. And it stops at a certain point. It stops being about yourself and it starts it starts being about the people in the audience. And it's just like an ecosystem. You feed it and I feed them and they feed me and I feed them and they feed me. And it's just a very copacetic relationship between performer and um, audience. And I never, ever imagined it would be like that because as a kid growing up, you just see, you know, you just, (laughs) you just see the rock star in the spotlight and you're like, I want that. And you don't realize what that comes with. And um, the fact that I'm able to chase a dream that satisfies and fulfills my needs uh, creatively and, um, you know, it, it does so much for me. And then to see that it also does so much for someone else is the ultimate payout, man meeting people and hearing how something you do has positively affected their lives. If that don't move you, then your heart's broken, man. That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah. It's awesome. Hell yeah. That's true. There's nothing better than feeding the ecosystem of your fan base, your, your community, and then them reciprocally giving it back to us and encouraging us to be more creative, to give them even more of those experiences. It's, 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 we, we were very lucky people to do what we do. It's, it's a very, very very lucky a hundred percent and like as i say like it truly was a paradigmal shift like i i'm not i'm not i've grown i'm fine to admit it like when i used to start when i started playing shows it was like i just thought it was all about me and i would like I, i made sure like i looked as cool as i could and i was standing could always be seen on stage and i would even look like just like look out at the crowd like above and look all the way to the back Uh. and it was like a a moment and like nah man the minute i the minute i realized that that's what it wasn't about you could see you even see it from in my like teens and early 20s versus how i am on stage now you see it like i i it's all about personal connections those first 15 rows man i look every single person in the eyes they scream the words at me i scream the words back at them and it's been so fulfilling and 
so enriching to realize that holy shit what started out as like chasing a rock star dream has actually turned into like i'm feeling good about myself because i can make other people feel good with what i'm doing it's like the most beautiful shit ever i hug everyone dude that's the thing now too is like they come up to me at the merch booth and they say that and i just start fucking hugging them i just i'm like you know they're telling me about how much i do for them they don't realize how much they do for me it's a beautiful thing man it's a very copacetic and fucking it's feeding the ecosystem man you got to keep that shit strong Jerry Monk, Box and Hops, is metal architect, the man that creates the Brutal Awakenings playlist. Go for it, bud. What's going on, guys? Uh, shout out first for the Creeping Death shirt, local boys Whoop. for me. Right on. Texas. Yeah. Yes, sir. Dallas, Texas. Uh, Two-part question. Your favorite interview that you've done so far for any of the outlets that you are on and if there's one artist or person in general that you could interview who would it be so that's really good question um i don't let me think here so i mean dave mustaine was a crazy one for me because i'm just such a uh, a fan um i had 30 minutes or like what was scheduled to be 30 minutes with Dave Mustaine and ended up talking for an hour, which if you know that guy and the strictness around doing interviews with artists of that size, you know how much of a fucking anomaly something like that happening is. Um, so that was definitely like as a as a fanboy, like making Dave Mustaine laugh and then him also calling me bro and by my first name at the end of the interview was like pretty cool. But I will say that uh, one of the most memorable interviews for me was one that I did with Corpse Grinder. And I'm sure Matt has definitely had uh, a couple interviews with Corpse Grinder over the years and can attest that that dude loves to talk. I did Amazing. not realize I did not realize that my 30 minute Zoom interview with Corpse Grinder would turn into a four and a half hour hang with him and his wife and we're making <laughs> dinner together and we're drinking and we're talking we're talking mad shit on you know <laughs> band members that remain unnamed and like I'm just like a fucking fanboy in a in a in a fever dream it's mm. the middle of the pandemic I've got corpse grinder started the interview when the sun was up and now the sun's down and my shitty little apartment is pitch black I haven't moved in 4 hours that was a pretty crazy one man and again that's a scenario where the 20 minute interview gets released and we literally talked for four and a half hours. It was crazy. Amazing. That was, that was an insane one. Um, and, uh, left on the bucket list. Like, I don't know, man, would love to do a proper interview with, you know, some of the legends, man. I'd love to sit down with Alice Cooper, uh, met him once backstage and it was like the sweetest man. He, I was all nervous. It was like backstage at a maiden show where Alice Cooper was support and, I'm standing there in odd Alice Cooper and he literally just walked up to me and says, hello, would you like a photo? And I'm like, all right, this guy's the coolest. Um, so I would love to do a sit down with Alice Cooper. He's uh, one of the OGs and, and a reason the Alice Cooper band is a reason why a lot of the bands I love today exist. And, uh, you know, Alice Cooper's on the bucket list and obviously Papa Het is on the bucket list. Let's be real. He's the reason we all do what we do. He's the reason this shirt exists, man. It's a creeping death Metallica ripoff. Yeah. Let's go. It's a puss head design. Absolutely. Um, West Coast Jerry has a, another question for Daniel. Go for it. Follow up. Sorry. Real quick. Uh, you mentioned South America. It made me think what country or continent has the best crowds when playing live? 
I was talking with a buddy and we were talking about who has a, a better or a bigger metal community, South America or Europe. Um, you've toured around the world. Matt, this is for you too. Um, what, what are your guys' experiences with the crowds in various continents, countries? Uh, so South America and Europe are completely different. Uh, craziest crowds in South America. I'm going to go with uh, Chile, probably. Like Santiago is like literally like, I don't know, insane. Like it, like absolutely outlandishly insane. Uh, so I go like Chile or Brazil definitely have some of the craziest South American shows. That's not to say that the rest of the shows aren't crazy though. Like the, the first time you go to South America, nothing can prepare you uh, for what it is. Not only with the fan interaction, like nowhere in Europe do we have people waiting at the airports for us for our arrivals. Nowhere in Europe are people lighting off flares in the middle of the audience. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere in Europe do they tell you it's unsafe to stand on the barricade because the crowd will just start stripping you of anything. Dude, I went, I didn't know this in Colombia. We were playing a festival in Colombia and I went and stood. I was just like fucking walk down, you know, walk off the subs into the barricade and like stood on, on the fucking bar and they started like undoing the whammy on my Floyd Rose. They're undoing wow. my arm gauntlets. They're just like pulling me in. And I'm like, oh shit, that was a bad call. Like retreat, retreat, <laughs> retreat. And, you know, they don't, you know, you can't prepare yourself for something like that. The passion is unmatched, man. Uh, just the airports. That was the first thing I noticed is we show up at an airport at one in the morning. Hey, plot spoiler, bands don't make a lot of money. We take the worst red eye flights. Uh, show up, you know, show up at El Dorado airport at one in the morning. And there's fucking 40 kids with yeah. stacks of albums and homemade photos. Like yeah. I, I, my first tour in South America, we didn't have a real press photo yet. I just joined the band. We didn't have a real press photo. And there were these weird bootleg collage photos of me like in diamonds wearing like a diamond stage getup with the two dudes in Exciter. Like they'd, they'd gone out of their way to make like fan photos for us to sign at the airport. Um, nothing can prepare you for that kind of shit. Uh, Europe is insane, but in its own way. Uh, but dude, I, I don't know, Matt, what what are the craziest spots for you in, in South America? I think Chile has to be, Chile or Brazil has to be the most insane. I think that I've experienced El Salvador too. When we did that, we did, we did a cryptopsy, Watane suffocation tour. That was the last time I was down there. It was just off the hook every night, every airport just waiting for us at, at our hotels. They would find out where we're staying and they would be there as well. But definitely, you hit uh, Santiago was probably one of the craziest, craziest shows I've ever played. Bolivia. We played in uh, Cochabamba in Bolivia. And I recall, like, the whole week leading up to that, everyone, you know, makes the small talk. Where are you headed next? What are you doing? And I'd say, oh, we're going here. We're going here. We're going to Cochabamba, Bolivia. They're like, you're going to Cochabamba, Bolivia? Like, <laughs> prepare yourself. Not only is, like, the altitude insane, you're going to need some oxygen tanks on stage. Uh, the people are fucking mad. Uh, and they were, they were fucking, they had like a 40 foot Bolivian flag that they had like spray painted an exciter logo on. And they just stood like when we showed up at the venue, it seemed like people were there for 10 hours waiting for us just like to get a photo with us with the flag. It was, it was really crazy. Uh, yeah. Bolivia, Chile, uh, El Salvador is insane. Dude, South America shows like nothing can prepare you for what South America brings uh, to the table in terms of metal shows. Incredible passion. 
exactly what I was going to say. The passion, I think that a lot less, it's more so now, but it's just there's a lot less tours compared to Europe. So, so they have to wait longer to see the bands that they love. And Europe has all the massive festivals. Now Mexico's doing some pretty fucking massive things to it. Heaven and, he- Heaven and Hell, I believe, is the name of it, right? It's just Yeah, and the Mexico Met- Monterey, Fe- Monterey Metal Fest as well. They got yeah. a bunch of huge ones, yeah. So so it's cool. It's exciting. It's uh, I'm excited to go back uh, when uh, everything starts again with Cryptopsy, which I'll talk about after we stop recording as well. Woo-hoo! Last question from me. I typically wrap up with my hangover cure. Uh, we did that already in Manitoba. Uh, it was uh, staying in bed for 18 hours. Um. Dying. <laughs> Turn off your phone. Don't even try water, Gatorade. Fuck, get fucked. Just sleep. <laughs> sleep and die. The day is a write-off. Give it up. <laughs> I will ask you a question that I'm wondering if, if over the past few months you, you've had time to accomplish this and or change your thoughts. Uh, it's a collab. I love collabs. I'm working on a massive project right now, a global collab project, which I will be talking about more in the next few months um you mentioned in manitoba that you'd like to have your own weed being sold and distributed called better than god's vagina so so i'm wondering if if you've you've accomplished this if you're any closer to it or if you'd rather think of a different decay collab that would be more fitting Dude, I must have been so stoned when I said that. That's a Pineapple Express reference. And he smells that big bag of weed in James Franco's apartment. Mm, Smells like God's vagina. I just want to live in it. Um, So I would still love to do a weed collab because uh, I love weed and I love beer. And I've already done a beer collab. Uh, I did the, with Diamonds, we did the Never Want to Die PA. So good. uh, which, Which was so much fun. So I've kind of knocked, uh, you know, the beer collab off off my list. I would love to do a weed collab. Uh, have made uh, no headway in doing it. So you know, may as well utilize the platform we have right now to say, hey, if you're a cannabis cultivator and you have a brand and you do collabs and you want to do some DK branded weed, either like a fun heavy metal pun or just straight up call it like DK Army or whatever, I would love to uh, get into terps and get into fucking potency with you. And we could work on something real crispy because uh, my name's Daniel and I like to party. (laughs) I love it. Daniel, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. Uh, Talking about your life, talking about music, talking about craft beer. I had a blast doing a proper Vox and Hops interview with you where we got to go deeper and unpeel the layers of who you are. You're multifaceted, a very interesting individual. Uh, we're going to keep hanging out here, uh, but you know, you had to be here if you wanted to, you know, you know, I guess the people at the Twitch are still going to be there, but you had to be at the Twitch too. So, so that's cool too. So we've got a big, we've got a big, big Twitch audience here, dude. The Twitch chat has been live this whole time. I love uh, it. I, yeah. The, the Twitch people are loving it. Anyone listening who's like, what the fuck's he talking about with Twitch? I stream on Twitch four times a week. Come hang. Uh, uh, I never Never done what Matt and I are doing right now, but I play guitar and hang and talk shit uh, four times a week on Twitch for like five to seven hours at a time for real. So uh, come on, come on down, folks. Twitch.tv slash Daniel underscore DK. I love it. Love it. Daniel, thank you so, so much. This is great. Looking forward to seeing you in the flesh, hopefully soon. Massive cheers to you. I'm going to sign off for the Vox and Hops part of this. Cheers. Hell yeah. 
Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to Dan. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, Daniel Decay is a killer, killer human. I love hanging out with him. Uh, as I mentioned during this episode, I had so much fun hanging out with him in Manitoba when we went out there to play Manitoba Metal Fest. And I was so damn stoked to hang out with him live on his Twitch. When he told me how many people were listening afterwards, I was uh, baffled and I was uh, very stoked not to know that while I was conducting the interview because I might have been a tad more nervous. Super stoked that Decay came to hang out with the Thirsty Thursday gang. They really appreciated his presence. He is just a killer guy. Massive cheers to you, Daniel, for hanging out with me, for being awesome, uh, for being so open and honest about everything. If you have not followed Decay on all of the amazing things that he's doing, such as Banger TV, NotFest, his Twitch, and of course, Exciter, well, you definitely should because he is an awesome, awesome musician and he's an even better human being. Massive cheers to you, Daniel. Daniel, for hanging out with me and being awesome once again. I can't wait to do it again. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You will get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will also get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce it to the public. And I have two, three massive projects going on right now that I'm building up, that I'm hinting at in the newsletter, you will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify and is packed with all the freshest, newest, most extreme metal releases each week. If you're looking for some new music to listen to, look no further. The Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to. There's always a lot going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing. So please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week with two episodes. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.